This is Great Dane Nation, presented by Vegas Insider. I'm your host, Morton Anderson, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, the slightly, <clears throat> how should I put this, affected today, perhaps, uh, Tommy Freeze Pops. Tom, uh, I know you're a little bit under the weather. What, what's going on this week, brother? Morton, thanks as always for having me. Yeah, my sister was in town this past weekend and, you know, trying to be a good host, show her the Midwest, and uh, let's just say some libations were had and... Uh, Slightly we're, dehydrated. Slightly we're dehydrated. working from behind the eight ball today. There's no question about it. But you're we're going to power through. You're a gamer, man. You're you know you're a gamer like like our guest this week, Adam Vinatieri. You are you're going to show that Adam Vinatieri like spirit, aren't you? Exactly. Yeah, we're we're going to fight through it here. I mean, we're built differently, you and I, right? I mean, <laughs> yes, that's what it's about. <laughs> yeah. So so don't eat any lukewarm liver today. Okay, that's good. That's very good advice. Yeah, I'll, I'll make sure everything is heated up properly. We'll be good to go. But like Martin mentioned, we got Adam Vinatieri joining us this week, the NFL's all-time scoring leader, among the greatest players in the history of the game. He'll be with Morton talking all things kicking. We love that. Then I'll be joined by Tom Cunningham for our weekly check-in with the experts from Vegas Insider. And as always, we'll close things out with your weekly game winner. So we've got a lot of great stuff planned for you guys. But Morton, before we get into your conversation with Adam, I wanted to talk with you about the big story coming out of Atlanta involving the Falcons. Julio Jones, we've heard it all offseason that Atlanta has been entertaining the possibility of trading him. We've heard that he's unhappy there. But then we actually heard it from his own mouth on Undisputed on FS1. Shannon Sharp called him out of the blue and he did this on air and Julio picked up. And Shannon was like, man, do you want to go play in Dallas or do you want to stay in Atlanta? Because, you know, they have this whole Dallas Cowboys skip Bayless thing. That's that's a whole other thing. Uh, But Julio just straight up was like, yeah, I'm out of there. He wants out of Atlanta. I don't think he knew he was on the air. So uh, there's a couple layers here. What do you think about the Falcons openly shopping one of the best players in the history of their franchise? And what do you think about him wanting out of there? And what do you think about Shannon Sharp just kind of blindsiding who's probably someone he's friends with on national television like that? Yeah, I'm fine with the Falcons wanting to shop Julio. He's had hamstring injuries and he's had an, you know, was not a good year his last season. Production way down. Only played, I think, I don't know, nine games. So I totally get trying to get value. They want a first-round pick. They're probably not going to get that. There's lots of takers. Julio's still got it. He's 32 years old, so he's definitely still got upside if he can stay healthy. I could see the Patriots. I could see Green Bay. I could see the Tennessee Titans. I could see the Cleveland Browns. I mean, there's a ton of teams that would love to have Julio Jones in the lineup. You know, Julio going to the Packers, would that entice their quarterback, Rodgers, to maybe hang back and and stay? Because that's absolutely showing a commitment to the passing game. So there's lots of what ifs out there. There's a lot of question marks. Yeah, I don't know, you know, what motive. I mean, I know what motivated Shannon Sharp to call him ratings, you know, trying to get ratings. But if it was under the false pretense of just calling a buddy up and trying to lure him into saying something on air, that's that's unethical to me. I don't know what what that particular show's strategy and protocol is when you secure guests, but if you blindside somebody and call them as a friend, as a buddy, and it sounds to me when you listen to the audio that Julio had no clue that he was on air, that's that's shady to me. So 
either way, you know, Julio's uh, feelings have been heard now. It's it's out there. And uh, the next move will be, you know, mutual. I mean, it'll be the Falcons trying to shop him and Julio trying to, you know, accept the fact that he's not going to be in a Falcons uniform. Sounds like he's moved on at this point. He had 10 good years there, at least nine good years anyway. And he wants to be with a winner, a consistent winner. So, you know, we'll see where that whole thing goes. But uh, I I hope that, you know, the intention of, of Shannon was to... Again, I don't know if Julio was told that he was on air, but it did sound a little sketchy to me. Yeah, totally. And it's like if you were to pick up the phone right now and try and, you know, hey, Drew Brees, uh, so you actually going to work for NBC here? Or you're going to surprise us last <laughs> minute, come back to New Orleans. Like if you called him right now on mic, it's just it's the same deal, man. Like whether it's live TV or you're recording a podcast, you got to be ethical yeah. with this stuff. Well, I think I think in, in the case of Drew Brees, he's pretty convicted. And yeah, settled, yeah. Settled on the fact that he's done with football. Maybe but Julio's, a bad example. Julio's definitely not. But it would be like, OK, so Aaron Rodgers, you're going to you're going to the Denver Broncos. Cool. What's uh, what's that going to be like? You know, kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, it is – we'll just see where it flushes out. But uh, clearly, this is definitely going to be the end of Julio Jones in Atlanta. Yeah, uh, great run there. I think, like I said, probably on the Mount Rushmore of Atlanta Falcons, right? Amazing career there in Atlanta. Got them to a Super Bowl with Matt Ryan. And I think he's got a lot of good football left. Fingers crossed that he ends up in New England, uh, but we'll see. I don't know if uh, the Pats really have the assets to make that happen. But hey, maybe uh, Falcons will get desperate here at some point. Pennies on the dollar. We'll take them up in New England. We'll kick the tires. That does not shock me that you would say that, Free. Pops does not shock me. Not at all. You know who did have a nice little run in New England? Our man, Adam Vinatieri, one of my childhood heroes. Let's get to that conversation with Adam. All right, man, let's kick it. My guest today is one of the greatest kickers in NFL history, he is solely responsible for crushing my hopes and dreams and breaking almost all my records. Uh, <laughs> and I will now give him an opportunity to, for once and all, apologize to me for breaking every single record that I held for, uh, <laughs> I thought were going to be forever. And uh, my legacy would be that. I would be the leading scorer in the history of the game. Most points, most field goals, most whatever. So, Adam, the floor is yours. I'm crushed, as you can probably deduct from my intro here. And uh, here's your opportunity to to set things right. Well, I apologize. Uh, (laughs) I, I I remember the last time I played against you, I think you were in Atlanta at the time, and uh, I was just in awe because of all the numbers that you had put together. And, and I remember looking at it thinking, me at 10 years in the league was like, man, his numbers are so far out there, nobody's ever going to catch him kind of thing. And you know what? Got, you know, a couple of years here, a couple of years there, and the next thing, I'm about 45 years away from the end of my career, and I'm, I'm sitting there going, you know, I might be able to catch him, maybe, you know? And, and I just remember just kind of putting a year closer and a year closer. And, and when I guess I was about two years out, I said, man, I need to stay healthy and I need to keep kicking well. And maybe, just maybe, 
but yeah, no, I always thought your your numbers. I, I was you were my hero growing up as a kid. You were my hero when I played against you. And I just remember seeing those numbers of like, man, there's no way in heck anybody's ever going to catch him. And uh, to be to be lucky enough to be even in the same sentence as you, my pal, is is impressive because, uh, um, like I said, you were the guy. I mean, you were a lefty, but but everything other than that, I I wanted to be just like you. And and I remember watching your onside kicks and just not just the field goals and your kickoffs. I remember just this guy had this amazing you know, a high hop bounce kick, you know, thing. And I was sitting there going, this guy does everything awesome, right? Everything. So you're, you've always been my hero and uh, to be able to be in the same category or, or close to in the same sentence with you is a huge honor. And, and there was no bigger fan than me when you finally got inducted into the hall of fame, because I felt like you deserved to be there years before you were one of those guys that changed football, changed kicking, you know, Jan obviously is in the, in the hall, but but when I when I thought about iconic, the best of all time kicker stuff, you were always the you were always the man. So for for me to be able to even even be in the same sentence with you is very very humbling. Adam, apology accepted. <laughs> Good. Perfect. Perfect. But. More importantly, Adam, there's a special category for you because of your big kicks. And who would have thunk? And let me just rattle off a few numbers here. But who would have thunk that a boy from South Dakota State, by way of NFL Europe? Yeah, yeah. I wish they would have added those points in there, too. Then I'd agree with Right. Until they get a little bit more. <laughs> you know, exactly, exactly. But who would have thunk that we are sitting? We would be sitting here talking today. Here are some of the numbers, Adam, that you hold right now, and there's many more. But these are the big records: most consecutive field goals made, 44; most combined regular season and postseason games played, 397. I still hold on by the slimmest of margins to the regular season, 382. You haven't taken that yet. <laughs> Most career field goals. It's probably safe, just so you know. It's probably safe. <laughs> well, it, we're going to get to that, Adam. We're going to get to that. Hopefully hopefully, this is a platform where you can be completely transparent and let everybody out there who's curious about your future, let them know what's going on. All right, here's the next one. Most career field goals made, 599. Man, almost 600, bro. We got to one more? I know. I know. I need to get back just for one more. Just one get- more ceremonial. That's right. <laughs> Most career field goals attempted, 7.15. And the one, of course, uh, that I had for about 13, 14 years, most career points in the history of the game, 2,673. I know you're not a guy that necessarily thinks, hey, these records are motivators. But, you know, in a way they are because they're milestones and they tell you where you kind of are. At least for me, when I was in my late 40s, the numbers were important to me because I was closer to the end. Now that you are in your late 40s, mid 40s, late 40s, late 40s, and you've had you've had a chance to kind of uh, let everything soak in. Okay, the Colts have a new kicker. Where where are we today, Adam, with with your career? Are, are you going to give it one more shot? You haven't officially retired, and how important are these numbers to you? Well, you know, two questions, and I'll answer them both. You know, as far as just over a year ago, I had, you know, a, a season ending knee surgery. It was just, you know, when you get our age and we've kicked as many balls as we have, things start to wear out a little bit. And unfortunately, it was a little bit more than 
we were hoping we knew we had you know some stuff in there that needed to be fixed but when when our surgeon went in there they said well i thought i was giving you the the 40,000 mile overhaul and it looked like we gave you the 80,000 mile overhaul so in saying that he said you know it's going to take a little longer than we anticipated for you to get back so I've spent the last year, almost year and a half, you know, working with physical therapists and trainers and trying to trying to get back to where I need to be. Um, at our age, things don't heal as fast or as quickly or as well as we would like them to. So I still have a little bit of stuff that's hanging around. And every time I try to go out and push it, it pushes back a little bit, which in a weird way, kind of puts the writing on the wall. I haven't officially like given up by any means, but um, it's not coming back the way that I wanted it to or thought it would. So honestly, a year ago after the surgery, I had every intention on coming back and continuing. Uh, you know, my final season with dealing with the knee stuff wasn't the kind of year that I wanted it to be, uh, statistically or otherwise. You know, but. I didn't want that to be the last moment on the field or the defining moment. You know, you, it's funny. We say 599, the last attempt, the, this would could have been the 600 field goal, uh, got blocked for a touchdown in the end of the game against Tennessee, which that's not the last one that you really want to have, no. but that's, that's where we're at. So, you know, moving forward, um, the one, th- the one good or positive thing over the last 16 months is when I was home trying to get healthy and doing all that, I spent a lot of time with my family and realized as much as I absolutely love football and it's been my life for 25 years, um, well, my entire life, I guess, but professionally for 24 and a half years, 25 years, I've come to find out that being around my family, watching my kids grow, helping my son on uh, at his high school, he's a punter and a kicker as well. and. And getting to do all of that made me realize as, as, as awesome as football is, there's more to life than just football. So if if by me saying that, you can see writing on the wall, I, I don't know how much harder and how much more stuff I can push to see if my knee can come back. Like I said, I would love to – I'm sure you would love to play one more season too. More, I mean, it's just part of the – I mean, football is so, such a great sport. It's such a great team thing, the camaraderie, the, the locker room, everything about it makes you want to be there and be back in that and be part of it. But um, Adam, if you'll allow me to maybe offer some perspective from my point of view – based on my experience when it came to be the end, if you will, I just couldn't prepare. And to your point, I just couldn't prepare to be great anymore in March, in April, in May, you know, when, when I was doing the testing and I had my plant foot, my knee was, you know, I I had the same type of things, you know, I didn't have a lot of cartilage left in my plant leg. And it's most, most of the time it's that plant leg because that takes the brunt of it. And whether it's your ankle, your lower back, which I've been very lucky, for me, it was the knees. And so when I realized I would be out there grinding and trying to figure out whether I could even go through a whole offseason preparing to be great, and the pain was so great that I had to pop ibuprofen 800 left and right, that's when I knew, okay, uh, you know what? I have exhausted every possibility. It takes two to tango anyway. And if I'm not going to be preparing to be great, I'm not preparing because I'm not going to go through a regular season where the team, number one, I can't live up to the standards that I've set for 25 years. Number two, the team really can't rely on me to be consistently great. Right. You right. know, th- there's a 
there's a brand and a legacy to protect as well. So I'm not saying you're at that stage, but you're going to know. And listening to you, it sounds like that's a gradual realization that you're coming to that other priorities are, you know, are taking uh, place in the forefront of your mind, which is a beautiful thing, man. It's it's part of the natural evolution of becoming a, an ex-player. And from my perspective, you you have nothing. Yeah, you could say, well, my last kick was this and that, you know, and I... I wish I had another, you know, Super Bowl experience because I I missed a kick that's the shortest in the history of the game in the Super Bowl. I missed a 26-yarder, and I'm talking to a guy that made the biggest kicks in the Super Bowl. So, listen, there's always – We've all missed those ones that we just – You know, there's always an exit strategy, right, that can be written better. But the most important thing, I think, Adam, for us – and I don't want to speak for you, and you can speak to it. I'll be quiet in a second. The most important thing is to be authentically real with yourself. And know that I've exhausted every possibility here. And then you put your head on the pillow and you say, listen, man, I, I did it at a really high level. And by the way, when five years from when you decide to officially retire, that's going to be a spot in Canton, Ohio for you, my friend. Well, I appreciate it. And coming from you, that means a lot. And you're, and you're right. You know, I, I can look at myself in the mirror and know that I gave everything that I've had to this point. You know, I it's not like... I, I don't have any regrets at all. You know, I look back and, and I'm, I'm very proud of our team accomplishments. I'm very proud of individual accomplishments. Like, like you said, I mean, if you can play for 25 years or 24 years, um, you're doing something right to be consistent that long and to be reliable and have teams that want you to be on their team for that long. So I don't, I don't have any regrets or, or any, any feelings of, oh man, you know, but like you said, you know, you always, it's, it's so much fun being out there and, and you, you just want to put that last exclamation point on it. And then I watch guys like Tom Brady continuing to go out there and win Super Bowls over and over again. And you, you just remember what that feeling's like and you go, man, it'd be great to be in there one more time. But, you know, you're absolutely right. I think the longer I continue to be away from it, the more the realization is there that it's, a, it's about time to, to figure out the next chapter of life. And, and you will, and you will, and just do it. You know, my advice would just be do it at your speed. And, uh, and please let me be the first one to announce it officially. <laughs> After you, of course, do it. Well, right on, right no, on. Man. No, no, it's Listen, you mentioned Brady. Um, if you don't mind sharing just your relationship with Brady, you kicked game-winning field goals in each of Tom Brady's first three Super Bowls, 2001, three, and four. I mean, any, you know, first of all, what was it like being around him? He's won seven now. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah well, and and how, how motivating was it to see a guy like Brady, obviously, well, do it at a high level every year? Sure. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting because you watch him come in as a sixth-round draft choice. And, and quite frankly, I didn't know much about him. You know, if initially he's just a guy in the locker room. And, and then when, uh, when Drew Bledsoe gets injured midseason and he gets – you know, I don't want to say fortunate for, for Tom or whatever, but I think that happened his second or third year. So he, he got to, to not have a ton of pressure on him as a, as a, as a rookie. He, he got to learn the schemes. And I think as, as time developed, we all started to see the specialness of Tom and, and his commitment and his drive. And so when he went in his, his first season that he got to play in 2001, um, you know, the team was kind of like, okay, well, we've got a, a, a new young quarterback. We've got to do our job well. And I think Belichick did a very, very great job. I mean, I have the utmost respect for, for, for Coach 
um, for, for Bill. I think he, he kind of said, all right, we're going to, we're going to help Tom. He can just do, you know, you don't have to try to win the game. Just, just be prolific, just do a good job. And everybody around you will be a good supporting cast. And, and that's honestly why 2001 was such a great season. I mean, we were kind of the underdogs all year long, but guys did such a great job supporting each other. When, when you say team, that, that particular year just meant so much because of how Tom got in in the middle of the season, how everybody picked up a little extra slack and made it more comfortable for Tom. And, and, and I tell you what, I never knew Tom was as, as gritty and tough and as talented as he was that first year. But all of us, all of us have been blessed to see it now for the last two decades. And I got to be part of it firsthand. Being, being his teammate was amazing. And to and continuing to watch him grow and, you know, being around him in the locker room, being around him in meetings, being around him on the field. He's a special guy. He's a guy that, that he'll work harder than anybody else around. He'll put that extra time and commitment in. And, and he's just got that Joe Montana fun, loving, but intense all at the same time. That doesn't, doesn't make everybody nervous. It's just fun to be around and, and watching him be part of that. There's nothing that surprises me anymore. You know, if he has the ball at the end of the game and within the opportunity of scoring and winning, whoever's on the other sideline is in trouble. So it's it's fun to be a part of that. That's for sure. Was there ever a time where you knew it was coming down to a game-winning kick, you're going on the field, and you're going to put foot to ball, and you're going to end it? Where Tom's coming off the field, you're coming on the field. Were, were there any words exchanged on any of these huge moments that you guys had together, whether it was in the snow game, whether it was in the Super Bowl, where he said something to you that was like poignant or that's well, Tom Brady or you know what I mean? It's funny that you say that because you know probably better than anybody else on the planet. Happened to me. <laughs> right. When, when you step out on that field, I always say it's like I've got leprosy. Nobody wants to be around you. Nobody wants to say anything to you. There's two guys in the history of my 24 years. It was Willie McGinnis and Lawyer Malloy, both defensive guys that aren't on the field at the time when Tom's out there. You know, I'm over in the kicking net kind of focusing in and, and watching the game clock and the play clock and the, you know, all that stuff and you know, watching us march down the field. But those two guys are the only guys that would come up to me, you know, give you a swat on the ass or something like that. And I say, ass on sorry if I can't. But we did a big swat and say, come on, you know, that kind of thing. So Tom wasn't really that guy because he was out on the field and, you know, we were always just crisscrossing. But, you know, he'd be like, let's go, man, let's, you know, make it. But, but those two guys in particular, Willie, who's on the NFL Network, and Lawyer, who, who – yeah. But he, he came into the league the same time I did, so we had a pretty good relationship. But those are the two guys that would be over in the net, you know, talking or, or saying something, you know. But, uh, yeah, for the most part, you know, uh, Tom was just really focused on his thing, and, and we all expected him to do well. He expected when I went on the field, it was three points. And, and uh, But ironically enough, the 2001 season, if you add the playoff games, the Super Bowl winner and the one in the snow against Oakland – I had five game winners that year. So I look at it like I had to do my share for our team to be successful along with everybody else. And, uh, you know, you do your job and you do it well and, and you know, you win games. So it was, it was, it was awesome. And I think that's exactly a Belichick led team is his mandate basically is do your job. Don't kill us. Don't kill us. Just don't F it up. You know, 
Take care of your specific task and don't kill us. And if we all do that, we're gonna we're gonna hoist a lot of Lombardis. 100% agree with you. I think he got that from from Bill Parcells, who my rookie year he was the head coach, and and they like to get players that they could trust, that they knew exactly. Hey, if I expect you to do, we always say, don't check gangster and go do your own thing. You know, that was the check call. Like, hey, I'm gonna I'm checking gangster and I'm I'm blitzing or something on defense. He was always like, if everybody does their own job. And you do you do your assignment, you do it well, collectively, we're gonna be in every game. And I think that's what made the Patriot Dynasty so great and continues to do do that, is they always very very seldomly early on did we ever blow teams out. We won by a point or three points, maybe seven if we were lucky, but it was always a close game. And I think we got comfortable on being in those tight games and we didn't screw things up. We didn't. We didn't do the wrong thing at the wrong time. And other teams would be like, oh, here we go again, where it's the Patriots, you know, and they would try to do something special or over the top, and then that's when they would screw it up. You know, they would you know, interception or a turnover or whatever. And then the Patriots always seem to do just play solid football and not make any mistakes and win the game at the end, you know. So I think I think that was really the – the, the Bill Belichick Patriot yeah. dynasty in a nutshell. Yeah. I know we're not supposed to have, yeah, it, I agree with you. I, I know we're not supposed to have a favorite kick. Like we're not supposed to have a favorite son or daughter or kid, <laughs> but yeah. you know, I got to ask you because I have my favorites and they all count for three points. They all have the same value. Not one good or bad defines our ability as a kicker, but You've had some big ones, Adam. Is there one? And I have my favorite of yours, you know, I've that I said that that was amazing. Extraordinary pressure, extraordinary circumstance in the snow, 46 yarder, I think it was. And mm-hmm. I just, you know, because I know as a kicker, the most concerning thing is the footing. That that for sure is the one that I'm the most proud of. I mean, it just you, you look at how everything's stacked and you're down by three. It's in a blizzard of a snowstorm it's the playoffs you miss it you're packing up your locker and going home and honestly still don't know how i made that kick you know can you take can you take me through it can you kind of go back to that time to those wonderful what that 60 seconds of unbelievable you know well i'll even take you a hair earlier at the beginning of the game the snowflakes are coming down and you know if you've ever seen it and i know you're you've been in indiana winters and stuff like that so i know you've seen snow Biggest snowflakes you've ever seen in your life. I mean, they were just gigantic. And as they're coming down at the in pregame, you're like, okay, we're going to get some snow. I didn't know by the by two and a half, three hours later, we we're going to have six inches of snow on the ground. But um, as the game went on, the weather just continued to get worse. And the irony of it is before the greatest kick of my career was the whole tuck rule thing. You know, Brady yes. is trying yes. to move down the field. You know, they blitz a corner off the edge and swat his arm. And, and fortunately for us, the ruling was his arm was coming forward. I know they changed the rule. Probably should have been changed prior to that. But it was the right call at the right time, especially if you were up. If you were, <laughs> it was definitely the right call. But um, I was sitting there watching that thinking, oh, my gosh, you know, the season's over, the game's over. I thought it was a fumble. And then all of a sudden, you know, they're, they're under the hood looking, and I'm like, you better get your butt ready because you're going to have the biggest moment of your life coming up in two plays from now if, if you know, whatever. And so, 
you know, the, the irony of it is, is the call got overturned. We've got the ball about two plays later. I'm going out for the uh, argumentatively the toughest kick of my career, maybe one of the m- most difficult kicks of NFL history, maybe. But I went out there and I remember thinking, with this much snow, they, they can't get a good rush on me. So timing, don't don't the normal you know one three zero one three five kickoff yeah. get off time is irrelevant. You can probably get the ball off in two seconds because they're not going to be able to get much of a rush coming in. But I also thought short little steps, almost like when you're running on ice. If you take too big, yeah, tiptoe. And and I just thought, the, the thought for me was get it above the line of scrimmage. It didn't have to be one of these beautiful high moving kicks. No. Get it above the line of scrimmage so they can't block it and get it online. So um, that ball looked like a two iron coming off my foot. And it it was it's over the line by stinger, a stinger, man, a stinger, yeah. brother. Yeah. And that, it, I don't know if it ever got 20 feet in the air, but it was just high enough. And it was by a bunch. I cleared yeah. by it. It, it, it had plenty. Yeah. So it had 50 on it. It had 50 <laughs> on it. Maybe, probably. So, you know, it was one of those it, once once I tiptoed into the ball, made contact, I saw it going oh, above the line and it was pretty much online. And, and at that point, with the blizzard and the snow, it was hard to see the uprights. And so I really. I, I was holding my breath, and it seemed like it took forever. It it seemed like waiting, uh, waiting for the crowd, maybe. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The umpire or the the referees behind the uprights, you know, stepped forward and raised their hands. The crowd went nuts, and I just was like, "Oh my god, I can't believe I just made that kick," you know. Yeah. But the irony of we still had to go to overtime. We st- both teams got the ball. Both teams punted. We marched down the field, got to a, a substantially a twenty something seven eight whatever the heck the game winner was. Much less melodramatic. Call timeout. Guys are sweeping snow off the ground. Made it a heck of a lot easier kick for the game winner. But I would say that's the one that I'm the most proud of. Obviously, when you get a lineup for for a game winner in the Super Bowl, that's kind of the biggest dream that you've ever had as a kicker, and to have that opportunity not once but twice and be successful on both of them, those are pretty awesome moments in themselves. Yeah. But, but kick wise, the best kick in my career is the one in the snow for sure. Yeah. I don't know what it is with New England and snow and, and game winners. John Smith back in the 80s yeah. uh, with the infamous snowplow and the the guy that was on prison, uh, on release from prison who came out yeah. and uh, snowplowed his little spot, you know, and he made a 35-yarder. Yeah, oh, yeah. And she the old crazy, and then they changed the rule that no more mechanical things can come out there. So now you just hope – your linemen have big size 16 feet that can sweep off some ground. Let's go, boys. Let's go. Let's get this thing uh, moved out and away. So exactly. fun uh, fun to hear your perspective on that. And then, of course, your your Super Bowl kicks. And I thought you hit a really uh, pure ball in the Superdome, uh, really well struck ball, and which leads me kind of into a little more nerdy question for you uh, because you and I are colleagues and – and I've always wanted to know this. And now that I have you, you know, I, I was a very mechanical guy, a very technical mechanical guy, uh, not a field guy like Gary Anderson. Gary Anderson was a field guy for sure. Right. He he would eyeball it and kind of, you know, I was always amazed at Gary Anderson because he was just so fluid and it looked it looked so effortless. Sure. And to me, it was it was 
it was hard. It didn't come easy. I had to I had to consciously think about, you know, my steps, my my pre-kick routine, my visual, the way I imaged it, the way I kind of looked at it, my plan. All of these things were were rehearsed for me. I, I don't know about Gary. It looked like he just eyeballed it. And where are you on that spectrum? Well, it's funny because I always felt like I was a feel guy, you know, but but the the longer I was in it, like I, I, I met um, Matt Stover, we kicked together a little bit, and he is a very, very technical guy. He's so precise with all of his movements and stuff. And I always thought, I, you know, I'm a guy that, like the, the guy from the replacements, the, the, the British guys, like, just put the ball down, I'll kick the bloody piss out of it, you know? And that's kind of what I always thought of myself. Yeah. But but I'm not because because all of our trainers and the other kickers that I was around always said, you, you, you do ex- everything exactly the same every time. So I, I know that along the way I developed what worked for me and I was very precise on that. Now when I go out with my, my son and we go out and punt and kick, I make sure that he's very precise and there's less moving parts. You know, if you're yes. you do everything exactly the same every time, there's less things that I, I watch young kids and they're always swaying or they're moving their hands. I'm like, stop all the Yes. Moves. Thank you. I heard you in an interview and I don't remember what exactly it was, but I don't know if it had to do with just going down the, the target line or if, can you share that? Like in other words, the last, you know, I had a finishing kind of verbal cue that helped me. I would say finish. Yeah. Meaning, you know, let's stay firm on that plant side and let's finish. Let's not collapse and have everything fall off. What was it for you? Well, well you're, you're exactly right. For me, keeping, and it would be exact opposite for you, your right side is your, you know, yeah, but- my left side, I'd always make sure, you know, that it stayed firm left side. So that way you could kick without falling off. I also always thought, and I would either maybe write it on my hand or on something that I always always say, attack the ball. Because... More times than not, if we miss a kick, it's because we get lazy and guided and guided. Guide yeah. And so the best struck balls are when I'm not saying, hey, you're swinging, you know, you're not no. like a golf club, but attack the ball means get through the ball, hit the, you know, be, you know, commit. Commit. Yes, that's a great term. So I always put attack the ball because I want to be aggressive at the ball because the times that I missed were when you're in your mind, you're not, you're not as comfortable or you're thinking, ah, whenever I attack the ball and Hey man, smash this ball. And I think for me, I was better at long field goals and I would miss a short one every once in a while because me, me because too. Yeah. When you're at 50 yards, you know, you have to do it right. You have to attack the ball. You have to do everything right. So you're focusing on doing everything right. These little 26 yarders, 28 yarders are the ones you go, eh, it's a chip shot to run out there. And then you get lazy and you fall off or you do something. You're like, how the hell did I miss that? I should make that a thousand times in a row. And so I think for me, attacking the ball, commit, you know, really get get after it. It, it was always a good thought for me. And it's this, you know, Missing these 20-some yarders, which I can so much relate to, it's this stunned belief that it didn't happen to me. Right, right. You know, I'm, I'm more than freaking Anderson. That doesn't happen to me. I would blink, and I would go, I'm living a nightmare right now. 
how I, I know all of us, and, and if you've played long enough, we've all done it. I remember watching, you know, you mentioned Gary. I love Gary as well. The one in the in the playoffs that he missed, um, I think it was against Atlanta when he was in Minnesota. It was when I was with Atlanta. Yeah, okay. Exactly, exactly. And then I remember Justin Tucker a couple of years ago, his look on his face of his eyes bewilderment of like, how the heck could I have missed that? And and that's just because we're all professionals. We all have worked our butt off to get really good at what we do. And then when we have a, a, a brain fart and, and it just goes the wrong way, you're like, it should have never happened. I should have never, you know, you, you wish you get that second second attempt. You wish like, hey, yeah. what do you do on this? Which you I know. Adam, after 10 years and three rings, you leave New England and you go to uh, the Colts. And I know, um, again, I can relate. I got, I, after the 13 years I left New Orleans, you know, and uh, it was more, mostly because they felt I was a declining player. And then I played another 12 years as a declining player. So whatever, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but the uh, the exit from New England to to the Colts worked out beautifully for you. But how was departure for you? You know, was it a money thing? Was it more of a, a change of scenery like Brady? Was it a combination? It was a combination of a lot of different things. Um, New England kind of does the same thing in the sense of when players get a little bit older, sometimes they'll let them go with still some upside there. But, you know, they think, well, you know, maybe we're not going to we're not going to get him a big contract because we don't know if he's going to last a long time. For me, love every minute in New England. Appreciate the the community appreciate the craft family appreciate all my teammates it was it was unbelievable and i'm not gonna lie there was tears in, in my family when it was time that that we left my wife cried and said i can't believe we're, we're leaving and i said well I, I can't believe it either but uh, in saying that i always thought that if i was going to leave an organization like new england it was going to be two things. It was going to be another organization that had potential of winning Super Bowls and championships, a great organization. And I, playing 10 years in the snowy New England, did Get a roof over I, your head, baby. Yeah, yeah. It was either going to be somewhere <laughs> south, nice and warm, or a dome. And, and, and fortunately, at that point, there was a few teams of both, domes and south, that were interested. And, and you know what? Um Bill Bullion, who was the general manager for the Colts at the time, he made the call and he said, hey, listen, I don't want to be part of a, a money grab or try and get more money out of New England. If, if you're honestly thinking that, that you would leave, we would love to have you here. And that was at the time when I was in New England, the Colts were the other team in the AFC. It was Peyton Manning and Reggie and Marvin and Robert Mathis and Freeney and all of Bob Sanders. I mean, they had a great team that could just never get over the hump against New England. And that was one team that I was like, if I'm going to leave, it's got to be a team like that. And, and honestly, they, they did everything right. I have zero regrets. Indy's been unbelievable for me. The organization, Robert Ursay, the owners, is a great owner, great man, everything about it. So um, it, was, it was difficult leaving there at the time. But ironically enough, we played the Patriots in the AFC Championship game, yeah. beat them, and went to the Super Bowl and won the Super Bowl. So Timing's everything, baby. But uh, how, how satisfying was that to play that old, you know, your old team the first year with oh, a new team? It was unbelievable. You know, everybody talks about what's the most fun game. That maybe was the most fun I've ever had in the NFL. And the reason why I said even even above and beyond Super Bowls because that game meant so much for me and in you know in the organization. 
Colts couldn't get over that hump, and it was just once they won that game, it was like, oh my God, we beat the Eagle Empire, you know. We and and then to, to win the Super Bowl two weeks later, it was incredible just to be around that whole situation. But even in that game, we were down. I think I kicked the field goal right before half, so we were down twenty-one to six. I had two field goals in the first half, and I came into the locker room. Quite frank, super pissed. I'm like, I do not want to lose to these guys. We have to win this game. And fortunately, we got the ball second half. We went down there and scored a touchdown. So now we're down, you know, basically one score. And that was a fight back and forth and back and forth and all the craziness that happened in that game. But, uh, yeah, that was, uh, you know, I look back now and, and I feel like I, as you, had two separate careers. You know, I played 10 years, a whole career in New England, and then I get a I come away and I go to Indy and 14 yeah. years there and being able to do a bunch of stuff. It was amazing. I mean, it was the best of both worlds. It, unbelievable. And you, you get to play with Tom Brady in New England and then with Peyton Manning, another iconic, another Hall of Famer, right, that had to be special. And I'm sure they're similar in many ways, but different. What was your relationship like? And, and then let's look at the coaches, too. You have Belichick and then you have Tony Dungy. Again, two iconic coaches. So... Let's face it, it doesn't get much better, Adam, for you. Uh, and now you have a roof over your head. And, uh, you know, I, I speak from experience. I had, I had a roof over my head for 21 years, you know, more, 22. So. Life is good, yeah. Yeah, no, it was, it was, it's funny you say that, like, we, we mentioned quarterbacks and the coaches. There's no different coaching philosophy between, I mean, you couldn't have been polar opposites between Tony Dungy and Bill Belichick. I mean, the way they did things, the, the atmosphere. Tony is big brother that wants to be your friend, and you want to succeed for him because you don't want to let him down. Bill Belichick is more fearful, like, you're walking on eggshells. I better do everything right because I might be gone tomorrow if not. Completely different philosophies, two different ways of winning. You know, I, I, I didn't know any different from, from Bill Parcells to Bill Belichick. I mean, my first 10 years were very militant, way of doing stuff and then I get I get to the Colts and it's laid back and it's fun I, I tell you the one guy that was more like that is is Peyton Manning was very strict on everybody he took that role of hey listen you're gonna do everything right I'm gonna challenge you I'm gonna quiz you to make sure you know what you're doing and Tony didn't have to yell at you because because Peyton's gonna chew your ass if you didn't do it right so I mean I've watched I watched Peyton take guys off the field, send them off the field and say, no, you're not coming back into the, to the, the, you're not coming back into the huddle because I don't trust you. You're off, you're off the field. You're benched the rest of the game. I've watched him do that. So that's kind of the difference between Tom and Peyton. Peyton was always that guy that was very, very intense Yeah, in a good way. I mean, like there was, nobody more, there was nobody ever more prepared than Peyton Manning when it came to – and it, not just him. He knew what he was doing on the field. He knew what it, the other 10 guys on our team was doing on the field. And he probably knew what the other 11 guys on the other side because he was changing plays and doing stuff and doing all this crazy stuff to get the defense to check into what he wanted. And he's like, all right, now I got you. Now, bang, down the field, you know. So mm -hmm. um, I always say, you know, everybody's – a million times people have asked me, Tom Brady – or Peyton Manning, and I said, "Shit, if you're if you're a force, if you're lucky enough to have either of those two gentlemen as your quarterback, you're going to win a ton of games. You're going to go to the Super Bowl. You're going to have a ring or two or five or seven. So I, I, I honestly feel like 
and no slant on on any of the other guys, Aaron Rodgers and Brett Favre and all these other guys. I was blessed with two of the best quarterbacks who ever played the game, and and so the and and, and oh by the way, Drew Bledsoe, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, and then Andrew Luck, who is by no means any chopped liver either. I mean, he, if he would continue to have played, I think he would have put up the same type of numbers that those other guys did. So, so blessed. I think you have to have a high quality quarterback for your team to be successful. And I had it my entire career. So I'm super, super lucky when it comes to that. I know we've, uh, you have uh, other things to do, but let me get your opinion here uh, at, at the tail end on, on both teams as they sit today. Carson Wentz with the Colts. Where do you see these two franchises as they stand right now? I really like the direction that the Colts are going. They've built um, with their GM and the head coach there. They've done a really, really nice job developing a young defense that's very athletic, very intense, hard hitting. It's fun to watch those guys. I think they always say, you know, offenses win games, defenses win championships. I think they have a championship type defense there now. Um, they've got enough talent on on skill positions as well. I think they're running backs. I, I, I think they've got a tandem or a, a three running back group that's as good as any running back group in the league. And I, I really like Carson. I, I, I've seen him, you know, him being a guy that played at North Dakota State, uh, me being a South Dakota State guy, watching a little bit of that and watching him come up winning all those national championships in North Dakota state and then coming in and, and playing well for the Philadelphia Eagles. I think last year was an anomaly. I think there was just some weird things that were going on. He would had a lot of pressure on him early and, and it just didn't work out the way that I know he's a quality, a damn good quarterback that I think will be very successful in this. You know, the fact that that he and coach had, you know, experience together in Philadelphia, I think uh, I think it's going to be a, a, a great relationship there. I, I think the Colts are going to be very good this year for the Patriots with, you know, I, I, I think Cam is a is a really talented quarterback I think he's got um, all the ability in the world it, last year for them they you know they had some financial problems they couldn't add in a bunch of key players that they needed around him and uh, moving forward I don't know what their what their you know salary cap issue is moving forward I haven't paid enough attention to that but when you have Bill Belichick as your head coach you have a chance <laughs> you know what I mean and <laughs> you I do think, I think uh, I think I always look at them as a team now, Buffalo is really, really good. They're on the rise. I mean, they're impressive. They might be a team that continues to win that conference or, or, or that division and stuff. But you never you never take the Patriots out of it when, when Bill Belichick's there. I don't know how many years he's going to continue to coach or what's going on out there. But uh, I, I do watch, even if I'm not playing for either of those two teams, I watch a little bit more intently with them and just because of the history. All right, crystal ball time, brother. Uh, are we going to see... Adam Minitari in 2021 kicking his 600th field goal. <laughs> um, if things don't change from my knee, I think um, I, I haven't officially retired, but I, I, I'm probably on that way. Um, like I said, I've continued to do stuff to try to get there. It's yes. just not it, – yeah. there might be a time to, to officially do that here in the near future and, and uh, just – I have no regrets. We always wish we could have that 600th or this one more or this one more trip to the Super Bowl or whatever, but uh, no regrets. I've had a great way. 
we put it all together, Adam, and look at your resume, and it's it's Hall of Fame worthy. And I know I'll see you there uh, if indeed this is it. Five years from now, as a first ballot, you're buying the first rounds, buddy. <laughs> no, wait a minute. You're a rookie. You're you're That's a rookie. So I'll buy the first round. No problem. You, you will. You will soon learn, my friend, that yeah, nothing changes. It stays yeah. the same, man. Yeah. Yeah. As it should. <laughs> nothing should. I'll get the second one. How about that? There we go. <laughs> hey, Adam. Thanks for your time. Really Appreciate enjoyed it, it and uh, much respect. Hope thanks to see for you down the road. On, and I look forward to seeing you. That was a great conversation with Adam. I totally got a kick out of that. See what I did there? Oh, nice. you like that? <laughs> of course, I'll have more on Adam Vinatieri in my Game Winner segment at the end of the podcast. But first, my my dear friend Freeze, uh, before we get to your conversation with Tom Cunningham, please tell our fantastic, loyal listeners where they can find us on social media. Follow us on Twitter at Great Dane Nation. Follow us on Instagram at Great Dane Nation VI. And remember, make sure you check out the video version of our interview with Adam Vinatieri on the Vegas Insider YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Vegas Insider TV. You can go back and check out our previous interviews with Jan Stenerud, Sean Payton, Cam Jordan, and many more. That's youtube.com slash Vegas Insider TV. Now let's get to my conversation with Tom Cunningham from Vegas Insider. VegasInsider.com is the global leader for sports gaming information, and it's your authority for the newest and best sports gambling podcasts. Every week, we're joined by one of our Vegas Insider experts to make us a little smarter. And this week, we welcome back one of the hosts of the Daily Insider on YouTube, the great Tom Cunningham. Tom, what's going on? Hey, what's up? Thanks for having me. Make sure you check out the latest from Tom on VegasInsider.com, and you got to follow him on Twitter at underscore TJKC underscore. And Tom, before we look ahead to some stories in baseball and basketball, I wanted to take a second to reflect on last weekend's PGA Championship. Phil Mickelson is one of the greatest golfers of all time. We all agree on that. But he's 50 years old now, and he's well past his prime. He came into that major at 200 to 1 odds, and he ended up winning insane. Even as the leader heading into Sunday, he still wasn't the favorite to win. Help us put this in perspective from a historical standpoint. And does this mean Phil should be a value play for betters moving forward? Well, even with the Tiger Woods Masters win, it's starting to seem as if these major events are won by legends almost uh, moving forward. In terms of Phil, though, as, in terms of him being a bet moving forward, I don't think that's a good idea. This is a guy who doesn't even play every tournament, so the the, the pickings are going to be slim at best. And if it's outside of a major event, uh, he's really struggled. And this is why his win at the PGA Championship was so surprising. And it's because he has not been playing well uh, as of lately. Now, he finished 21st at the Masters uh, this past year. But other than that, uh, prior to the PGA Championship, he missed two cuts. He finished 69th in another tournament. And so it really seems that Phil only right now at this point of his career shows up for the big events. 
Interesting. Okay, so keep him in mind for majors, fade him otherwise. That makes sense. All right, I wanted to hit on a story from baseball with you that has continued to grab my attention. As Shohei Otani is finally living up to the billing as the next Babe Ruth, he's got a 2.39 ERA in six starts as a pitcher. He's tied for second in baseball in home runs with 15, and at the moment he's sitting at plus 110 to win AL MVP. Should we be taking Otani seriously as an MVP bet, or do you think there's a safer play in the MVP market? Because you got to think that this guy isn't going to be able to keep this up on both ends here. Well, what it, what worries me with Otani is health. Um, this is a guy who usually gets hurt, and we're not even in June yet of the season. Um, and so I would be real concerned taking Shohei Otani. I'm more concerned about his health than I am the record of the Angels at the end of the year. We've seen uh, MVPs in baseball, even Cy Young winners, Without good records, uh, Jacob deGrom comes to mind. Felix Fernandez with the Mariners didn't have a great record when he won the Cy Young in Seattle. In terms of the record of Los Angeles, that doesn't concern me. But the playing time of Shohei Otani, now with Mike Trout out, the Angels are going to lean on him a lot. I'm actually looking at Vladimir Guerrero Jr., who's crushing the ball right now. 7-1 to odds win MVP. If Toronto is somehow able to get into the playoffs, that to me is the best bet on the board. All right, rapid fire here. Give me your three best NBA bets as we continue through the first round of the playoffs. Okay, well, <laughs> well, I did take the Brooklyn Nets to win the entire NBA Finals not long ago. Uh, I, I think they are the clear-cut favorites right now. Now, if you want to take the Lakers, I think I would take them to win the Western Conference over the NBA Finals. Brooklyn, to me, just seems like they're the best team. And after these first-round games, I would look into the prop betting markets uh, more than anything. Joe Harris, he went 7 of 10 in Game 2 from beyond the arc. His odds to hit 2.5 or more three-pointers was even. So you get great value on that. Andre Drummond in Game 2, I think he had a double-double in the first half. His odds to get over 8.5 rebounds in the game was even as well. So take advantage of some of these odds makers in the player prop betting department and really, really have conviction in some of the players that dominate Certain statistics like Andre Drummond for rebounds. Anthony Davis was eight and a half rebounds in game two as well. He went well over. So take advantage of those player prop bettings for these games. All right, Tom, thanks as always for joining us. And before I let you go, tell everyone what you're working on and where they can find it. Motorsports Memorial Day weekend. We've got the Coca-Cola 600 coming up. We have the Indy 500 coming up and we have the French Open coming up on Sunday. Champions League as well on uh, on Saturday. So it's a very busy weekend of niche sports, but you can find that all on VegasInsider.com and our YouTube channel as well. And remember to check out that YouTube channel for all of Morton's interviews from Great Day Nation, as well as amazing content from our handicappers, talking motorsports, golf, horse racing, MLB, NBA, anything you could imagine. Go to youtube.com slash Vegas Insider TV. That's youtube.com slash Vegas Insider TV. Tom, thanks for the time today. We'll talk soon. Thanks for having me. And now Morton Anderson's game winner. I talk about defining moments that shape your life all the time. I met one of those moments when I was introduced to American football in 1977 as an exchange student at Ben Davis High School in Indianapolis, Indiana. It changed my life forever. Adam Vinatieri has had defining moments presented to him as well. The one that stands out to me is a kick that he was asked to make in the Snow Bowl to tie the divisional playoff game between the Patriots and the Raiders during the 2001 season. 
It is arguably the most difficult kick made in NFL history. And he made it and followed it up with a game winner in overtime. Such is the legend of Adam Vinatieri. And there's more. If that defining moment did not get our attention, there are a couple of Super Bowl game-winning kicks to wrap our brains around. Yes, Adam is a gamer and he thrives in big moments. Moments that have defined him and his Hall of Fame-worthy career. It's refreshing for me to know that when I speak to Adam, he's well-grounded and humble. What strikes me is his choice of words when answering my questions. He says, we and not I. It indicates a deeper perspective regarding how everything fits together and evolves. Adam Vinatieri has always been a team player and he understood his place, his role, his mandate. We as kickers sometimes are overlooked and underappreciated. I think that Jan Stenerud, Adam Vinatieri, and I changed that. It's undeniable that when done well and consistently, the kicking position changes outcomes in games. The kicker is arguably the most influential position following the quarterback on a football team. Argue against it. Go ahead. When you have your ammo ready and we're sitting down to debate the merits of the kicking position in relation to other football positions, I will recruit my video library and show you countless game-winning kicks along with a myriad of game-changing kicks made by little guys in big helmets with strange names and green cards. Then I'll wait for you to try to land the plane on why an edge rusher warrants more credibility than my kicking compatriots. This is where I drop the mic on you. Cue Adam Vinatieri and his glorious game-winning big-time kicks. In front of you, in full color, you'll see a man who single-handedly changed Super Bowls and ended them in favor of his team. His arms are thrust in the air and he's hoisted up amidst his teammates, all every down football players, by the way, and carried off the field as the confetti falls from the sky. You will concede. You have to. The kicker has spoken. We'll see you next time. Great Dane Nation is presented by VegasInsider.com, the global leader in sports gaming information and your authority for the newest and best sports gambling podcasts. A big thanks to Adam Vinatieri for joining us this week. And thanks to Tom Cunningham and the team at Vegas Insider. Remember to check out the Vegas Insider YouTube channel for all of Morton's interviews from Great Dane Nation, as well as amazing content from our handicappers talking NBA, MLB, and much more. Go to youtube.com slash Vegas Insider TV. Great Dane Nation is available on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review today. 